Welcome, my friends. It's that time of the week. And guess what? In case you haven't figured it out, it's 2016. This is the new year. This begins our second year of What's Your Point? Right here live from Cutter's Cigar Emporium in beautiful downtown Alpharetta, where it's a brisk 36 degrees with about a eight-knot wind and partly sunny skies. This absolutely is reprehensible. Uh, we will... We have so many things to talk about today. We, of course, took the last two weeks off so we could spend time with the holidays. How was your holiday, Kevin? Oh, the holidays were great. I mean, this was the first holiday where I've actually stayed home both Christmas and New Year's. I uh, spent a lot of time up here at Cutter's, much to the chagrin of uh, Manager Lou and, and the staff. But I did what I could to make their, their uh, holiday experience a little more miserable. Um, but it was great for me. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what really counts. Yeah, well, you're but, all about uh, all about you, right? Yeah, well, you know, that's the way it is, basically. But, uh, you know, it's been uh, – we are here at Cutter's Cigar Emporium. It's right here on Windward Parkway in Alpharetta. Uh, it's just an incredible place to come and enjoy yourself. Uh, great, you know, especially with the weather cold. Come in here, sit in this overstuffed leather furniture. Lou's got some great activities coming up to keep you satisfied. If nothing else, come in and visit Luscious Lou. Come in and say hello to Jolly John. And, Jolly uh, John. I don't, know how, I don't know how that's going to roll with him. Well, I don't know how it's going to roll either, but that's the way it goes because he can't defend himself right now. But anyway. We, we had a warm Christmas in Atlanta for those of you uh, that um, aren't listening in town. Yeah. Um, it was like 70 degrees on Christmas Day. It was nice. I was in flip-flops and my Speedos. I, that's just a picture nobody wants to know about. Why? I, I don't know why they didn't want to know about that. But anyway. Um, did you, eat, did you eat well? What do you guys oh. cook on Christmas? Uh, it's uh, traditional. Turkey. You know, well, that's not traditional for me, though. But Smoke, I know. Well, you know. What is it, eggplant parmesan? Uh, yeah. About, about 14 pounds of it that I consumed over the week between Christmas and New Year's. Oh, yeah, man, it was but. brutal for the holidays. But uh, smoked turkey, stuffing. Um, Who does the cooking, you or your wife? I do. All the cooking. Yeah. yeah. She's got you it know, made. Yeah, our own kind of cranberry compote with uh, giblet gravy and mashed spuds. You put the giblet was. gravy in the cranberry? No, I know people that do, though. Oh. They like that. I love cranberry sauce. Yeah. The kind but that slides out of the can. It still looks like the no, can. No, 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 no. I use <laughs> the fresh cranberries. Like, no, I hate when people mash it up, man. I want it, I want it, I want it laying there on the plate looking just like a can. No, Rick, that's not the way we do it. We do the fresh cranberry compo with a little orange juice, a little vanilla, a little cinnamon. My, my sister did that for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and it's really, really good. And uh, so we ate much, uh, many fine smoked turkey sandwiches. Of course, I cook on the egg. So when you're cooking on the ultimate cooking experience, you're cooking absolutely flawless. And, of course, we use a lot of onions in our cooking, and real sweet onions this time of the year are just amazing. And so we had lots of fresh, real sweet onions from Peruvian sweets. So, I mean, it was, it was great. And the, uh, I love the turkey sandwiches afterwards. Why I, I like turkey game? sandwiches better than the turkey when you eat it the first time. Yeah, I'm so-so. That's the way I, I like turkey. I'm not a big turkey person you know why i probably had more ham at thanksgiving than turkey but yeah but you had uh, the eggplant parmesan which is for keeping yeah, with your tradition and then i did um i did just a, fil- a few meatballs and then uh with, of course i had salamis and cheeses and yeah, all that well kind of, of course stuff, you know? mean, and, nothing says so, christmas like oh, you, salami and cheese you start eating you know <laughs> christmas day I, I think i got over to my mother's house about nine i i did i did most of the cooking on christmas eve that put the eggplant parmesan together and everything and because uh, it tastes better the longer the ingredients are all mixed together and um, oh, yeah. So all I just had to reheat that. But I, I got over there about 9 o'clock, and I, I probably started eating about 9.05. And <laughs> it just continued till about 10 o'clock that night. Sounds like you had a good time. Yeah, I did. And now you got to go back to the gym and get rid of it all. 
Yeah, that's the thing. I was supposed to start on Monday, then it morphed into Tuesday because I'm trying to get everything ready for both shows, for What's Your Point and for um, for uh, Chef and the Fat Man. And, of course, speaking of Chef and the Fat Man, we're actually going to be here live at Cutter's. They're a great sponsor of ours. They've been a sponsor of ours now for over two years. And we enter our third year with all kinds of exciting things going on here. And, um, by the way, there was much jocularity and fun being had here, uh, especially this last week, because now we have 16 different kinds of wines. We have uh, a whole bunch of spirits. The bar looks great, by the way. Y'all did a great job with that bar. It really, it really looks nice. You can come and get a shot of your favorite uh, beverage, and we've got an excellent selection. We have some of our snobs from the uh, shop here that help set it up, so probably anything you could probably want is here. Also, a great selection of beers. Of course, not great enough because <coughs> there is no number one beer in the world. They had no Bud Light. But, but Lou, I will give her credit, though. I said, what do you and I drink? Because we don't drink when we're here, you, you know, for, for our own reasons. And she brought in some ginger beer. And I'm trying to talk her into, what are those beers that you like, St. Pauli? St. Pauli Girl has a good non-alcoholic beer, and uh, Heineken makes a non-alcohol beer called Be- uh, Buckler. So that might be something that, because I think she might have one slot there that if we suck up to her, which I do every day anyway, so I don't know why any day would be any different. She is the manager, after all, and I'm but the lowly ambassador. But uh, we're going to put a, a real push on her uh, this summer because, uh, I mean, you know, not having Bud Light is like, is like un-American to me. Of course, it's all I drink, but that's just because of who I am. And, and so it's a... But anyway, so you come in here, there's so many different beers here, and there's so many different spirits and wines, and the wines are beautiful. they got a really state-of-the-art system. They have the wine bottles actually in the system, and it it oxygenates the wine, and it it holds it in a vacuum-type thing, and I don't know how it works, but anyway, you swipe your card, you get a card, you swipe it, put your glass under, you pick two or four ounce, I think, pours, and you slide the card, and you just hold your glass under whichever bottle. And so the... The bottles can stay, will stay absolutely fresh just like you open them for 30 days. But, of course, the way people around here, it doesn't last 30 days for a bottle. No, nobody. But, but there's a big variety, though. That's the thing. You, How many places can you go and actually find 16 different kinds of wine? Most restaurants not, you can't. Yeah. Not, not by the glass, at least. No, no. And it's all here, right here. You can get the bottle. In fact, one gentleman came in. I was here the night the gentleman came in. He had a young lady that he was trying to impress. So he bought a very expensive box of cigars. How young? Well, probably, I'd say it's probably about 15 years difference, maybe. 15, 20 years difference between the two. The guy was older. So, he, you know, he had his uh, bow tie on, and he was really pouring it on. And and uh, so she wanted some wine, so he went and bought the most expensive. Is that the most expensive bottle of wine we have, Lou? Yeah, an $80 bottle of wine and with about a $350 box of cigars. And he sat there just, the two of them sat at their private table over there and just had a wonderful conversation. It was really neat to see. That's what Cutters is, and, and that's why it's such an amazing place. And, of course, we're going to get into all the lurid details of what happened while we were gone these last two weeks. But, honestly, during these last two weeks, there wasn't – we were just leaving the air when the omnibus bill, that, that thing is a nightmare, which we'll get into much more over the weeks because we're still pouring over it. There's still, you know, it's 2,000 some pages. But um, that was a disaster and a real, a real uh, disappointment for John, uh, for John Boehner, <laughs> Paul Ryan. John Boehner light one or the other yeah Yeah, and uh, oh I was going to change everything I was going to I was going to bring people together no you didn't change anything 
So now they're starting to talk about they're going to try to, you know, get rid of Obamacare now. So now Ryan's saying. That is supposed to pass today. Yeah, we'll we'll find out if we have any numbers for you. We'll let you know. But the things that are, of course, uh, we're going to. Why don't you do one thing for me, Greek? Tell me. Uh, Talk about a little bit about your thoughts on. We talked about college football and, and really, you know, Monday is the big. You know, is the big final game. final game. And so why don't you give your thoughts on the bowl system? Um, what did you think of the quality of the games this year? And just give your, your opinions and uh, because you are really into well, football. I, I think the quality of games this year was definitely down, but I don't think it was necessarily um, a problem with the system. I just think that the way the matchups kind of fell, that, that you just had some, some lopsided games. Part of that may have to do with the way they do the New Year's Day six games where they take the top ranking, top ranked available teams after the first four and try to pair them up. So you wind up with matchups that aren't traditional regional matchups like in the Sugar Bowl with an Oklahoma State. Um, you saw, I think, in the in the uh, in the Cotton Bowl. Uh, I, I can't remember. No, the Cotton Bowl was the Alabama game. Um, but there were some re- games that traditionally are more regional, have a more regional draw. Houston would be a good example here in the Peach Bowl of a team that generally would not be invited to the Peach Bowl but played because of their ranking. So that, that could have figured into it. But uh, the games were down. I thought that the two playoff games being on New Year's Eve was a, a tremendous mistake by the NCAA. They they cannot lead with the most important games. It just um, it goes against, first of all, they had it on New Year's Eve. And why you would put those two games on a night when traditionally people aren't watching TV or they're not watching TV until 11 o'clock or 1130 uh, made no sense to me. Their ratings for those two games were down one-third from last year. Uh, the, the two playoff games both suffered tremendously in the ratings. And uh, that was due, of course, to the night they played it. But uh, it also affected the other games on New Year's Day and on January 2nd because after the two big games are played, you know, there, there's it's just after the fact. And, and I, I made a comment. That yes, you did. Yeah, it was. It's, it, it's kind of true. Who ends with foreplay? You just don't do it that way. You start with, you know, <laughs> you build up to the. the Climax. Yes. So uh, the crescendo. But yes. Um, you, uh, you, you've got a system in place right now that I think is a good beginning. I don't think that four teams is the answer. <laughs> I think eight teams would be a big, big difference because you have a, this situation right now where they call these five conferences the Power Five. But if you only have four teams going into the playoffs, yes. one of those conferences is always going to be left out. You could even have a situation where you have two teams from the same conference and then two conferences be left out. Uh, what they really should think about doing, and I th- I'm sure that this was something they thought about and will probably be unveiled in the next three to five years, is just bump it up to eight teams. That's take, coming. Take all the conference champions from the Power Five and three wild card teams. And uh, I think out of eight teams, you're probably pretty safe that you're going to have uh, one of the top, you know, wh- the number one team will be included in that eight. There's there's rarely a, a situation where a nine team is really the best team that all of the the writers overlooked and didn't vote for. Right. Uh, I think when, if you have eight, you're pretty safe there. And just roll with that. You're really not adding uh, a whole lot of time to the season because what they could do is they could just expand the, uh, the bowls that they use or make some of the other bowls just play earlier. If you only want to have these six games involved, Make two of them uh, a week early. 
Well, you and, know, it's all about the money anyway. You yeah, can, and you yeah. don't you don't want to drag it out for too long. But I don't think adding eight games would add any length to the season. And I think it would ease it would be easy to do. And I think you'll see it, uh, like I say, in the next three to five years. They'll probably announce it within three and then do it within five. I I was I think I thought some of the games were going to end up being better than they were. Uh, I think I don't blame the 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 bowl system per se. No, the uh, for the for the disparity in the in the points. I mean. I, I use the Notre Dame Ohio State game. Notre Dame, if they had been, you know, if they'd had half of their people there, here comes they the would, apology. No, I mean <laughs> it, it's serious. When you're starting, when you're starting six true freshmen on defense, uh, because five of them were starting because of injuries. Well, one of them was he was sent home because he was obviously tweeting during, or I guess he showed up late to two team meetings. They sent him home. Now, how many people are going to send their starting corner home? You know, I mean, for, for showing up late to two. I don't know many college teams that would do that. Clemson sent a couple of players home, but that was for a marijuana violation, I believe. Yeah. I think they broke curfew and smoked pot. But, you know, the thing was, so you can't judge that when you're putting these bowl teams together. You can't judge injuries and everything else. So I think in that game, I think it was rather disappointing. I think if, the, if both teams would have been at full strength, I think – it would have been a much better game. I think we would have been closer. I don't know if we would have beat them, but I think we would have been much closer. And, of course, we lost one, our, our big our big stud defensive lineman, which we didn't need to lose. He got injured, and now he's looks like he's going for surgery. So, anyway, so some of that was there. But there were some exciting moments. Well, the best two games were the last two, yeah. uh, at least uh, if, you, if you look at the, how it played out. I, the, um, the game between TCU and uh, Oregon. You know, to to be thirty one down at halftime oh, and come back and win the game and was it triple up? I believe yeah, triple, triple overtime, overtime. Uh, and 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 not have your starting quarterback because their starting quarterback yeah. decided he would break curfew. <laughs> that's the, okay, <laughs> that that's that's bad. But you know, kids will be kids, right? So he break curfew. Okay, now you go to a, now you break curfew and you go to a bar. Okay, <laughs> so you're rolling in the wrong direction. Yes. You now not only do you go to a bar but you start a fight. <laughs> now, now it gets even better. The police show up, and you punch the cop. <laughs> I, we laugh, but it's really sad. It's really sad. I mean, I just read, read uh, today where Les Miles for LSU, the head coach at LSU, said they, they evidently just had an incident within the last 24 to 48 hours. One of their players was in a bar and got into some trouble. Well, there, there, there were some stabbings, too. And, and not, uh, He wasn't involved in it. but He said he's banning all of his players from going to bars now. Yeah. Well, hello. They're all most of them are all under 21 anyway. So <laughs> even if they're over 21, why are you in a bar during football season? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's never any good. No, nothing good. Nothing good's going to happen. I, I knew some of the football players. I had a guy that I played ball with as a, a younger kid. Um, he went to Shambly. I went to Marist and we kept up. I was his sister went to Marist. So we were very, very close with the family and, and still are. And Troy was an All-American tight end at Georgia. He started as a freshman. I, he he was one of the first four or five players to ever start as a freshman for Vince Dooley. Um, and he, I, I would hang out with these guys, and, and they were all good dudes. You know, they were really nice guys. But here's what would happen. You go to a bar. You've got a bunch of drunk kids in there, right? Mm -hmm. Sooner or later, somebody's going to decide, I'm going to be the biggest badass in the bar, and I'm going to pick a fight with a football player. And these guys were always getting into trouble, not because they were the instigators. Right. And I'm, right. not, I'm not trying to paint a, a beautiful picture. I know that there are players who were troublemakers. I'm not saying that. I'm just the, the, the guys that I w was hanging out with were good dudes. But they'd sit in a bar, 
some guy would, you know, oh, you're looking at my girlfriend, or, oh, you bumped into me, or something like that, and sooner or later, there was going to be trouble. And it just, you know, if, if you're going to be put in that kind of situation, sooner or later, you're going to have a problem. Yeah, it's inevitable. It's too yeah. bad, but it's the way it is. But anyway, the, that... The Bulls were, f- they, they were disappointing, but, uh, you know, I, I did enjoy the fact that we saw some teams that, that we haven't seen in at, at the top in, in a while. You know, Michigan State, that was yeah. a great story. They got yeah. killed by Alabama, no no doubt about <clears> it. But to get there and to beat Ohio State on the road and Michigan on the road this and year. And, of course, the Ohio State, oh, they shouldn't have been there. We should have been there. Yeah, well, yeah, you, yeah. You well, lost to them yeah. on your home field. That, there you go. I don't yeah. want to hear it, you know, enough of that. But, okay, so uh, also congratulations to Georgia Southern. Yes, they for winning their, their bowl. That, yeah. that was a great win. And they came from behind. And they and they and they actually flattened them that second half. So great and shout out to Georgia it, Southern. It pains me to say it, but congratulations to Clemson too because they've had a phenomenal season. And uh, you know that that's another team that we don't we're not used to seeing right up there at the top. And uh, I, I think deservedly so. They they have they they played a difficult schedule. They they beat uh, Notre they beat Dame. Notre Dame. They beat barely, Florida but State. we they beat us. That's yeah. all you have to do. Yeah, they they had a great year and they they deserve to be where they are. Absolutely. Okay, so your pick. Uh, Alabama, head, yeah. yeah, Alabama. I, I, they, they're so deep, particularly defense. on defense. Oh my God! And uh, just the way they took apart Michigan State in that second half, and the, the number of players they used on defense, uh, it's just going to be very, very tough to. You beat, can rotate. Them. They can rotate four down linemen three times. Yeah, that's twelve players. Yeah, and, and yeah. I mean, it's just it's insane. Yeah, it it it's really a testament whether you like him or not as a person to what Nick Saban has built there. And if he wins this game, he will have his fifth national championship, and there's only Very one other close. coach that has more than five, and that's Bear yeah, Bryant. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be interesting. I, I'm I'm with you. I would love to see Clemson do it. In fact, <clears throat> if you'd like to see the game, we're going to actually have it here at Cutters, and we're also going to be having a chili cook-off. If you think you're good in chili, bring it on. And we're going to uh, – Lou and I are going to be the judges this year. I judged last year, and I'll tell you what, that's tough. We had 10 entries, and I tried 10 different chilies, and there were some all over the place. Uh, but it, finally I picked one because it's blind. I have no idea whose I picked, and I picked Lou's. And so she felt so bad because they were, they were saying it was a homer, you know, the fat man loves Lou, all this <laughs> other stuff. You know, I tried to remind them that it was a blind tasting. It didn't make any difference. So this year Lou, as the manager, has decided to pull herself from the competition and so it's going to be on her and I uh, judging the chilies, well, and well, that'll be easier than just one person. That's a tough one person. Remind people if they want to enter this contest that they have to bring chili that's already prepared. Yes. They, they don't come here with a couple of packages of meat and some beans. And no, no, no. You bring your chili, bring it up for everybody to sample. Uh, it's a lot of fun, though, and, and we do it before the game. So, you know, you have chili. So the chili stay out here so. during the game. Yeah, so the chili sit out here during the game so you can get chilies, and we'll have chips and you know, come and watch the game. We got three. We got four TV screens, one drop-down big screen, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. So check it out. And if you can't make it uh, Monday, then check us out. Chef and the Fat Man will be here live from 12 to 2 on this Saturday, and we'll be cooking up three or four recipes. Chef Eric will be sharing with the audience. It's always a good time on Saturday afternoons. We have a great time here because the crowd's usually very good, and they love the food, and it's 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 just a great atmosphere. So you haven't been to Cutters. You need to come and check it out. Two great reasons. Chef of the Fat Man on Saturday, the national champ, FBS National Championship on uh, Monday. Monday. And uh, it'll be a good time. It'll be a lot of fun, and you'll get to meet some absolutely incredible people. So uh, now that we've got through the preliminaries, um, what 
I'll tell you what, man. Where do you want to start? Oh, God. You know, I, I'd i like to start. Well, we're going to definitely get into in-depth into Oregon because there's a lot of people that do not understand what's going on in Oregon. They just hear the 30-second sound bites. Oh, it's a bunch of angry, angry white guys with guns that are that are just, you know, putting on this big demonstration for nothing. Our, it's huge. Our uh, co-host published uh, last night on Facebook a great uh, timeline. Who? <laughs> our co-host. Who? <laughs> the, Eric the Rhino? The, the Jimmy Hoffa of, uh, of radio. Um, but it was a great timeline and, and, and really took it detail by detail of what has happened. And we're going to share there. that with you. We're going to get in depth about this. And, and we're going to let you see that these aren't just some angry white guys that are deciding to just protest just to protest uh you know there's some militiamen mixed in this but you got to understand when you're out west like this that you know it's not like an urban city where you got ten thousand people per square mile no the, you know these people have to work together have to live together have to fight together have to fight the elements together have to share so there's a bond that very few people realize like ranchers and and big farmers and stuff out in these large areas they really, they really become a community, and they really stick up for themselves because they have to. No, you're right about that, and and I think another thing that that people miss when when, when they hear the, what they're being told on the air is that if you go back far enough in, into the history of our country, you'll find <coughs> that that ranchers and farmers, for the most part, were also. Um, I, I want to. I, 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 I guess I can use the word they were the law out there yeah. in, in a very lawless area. Yeah. Uh, and, and they brought uh, civility to um, as this country moved west. And uh, they have a spirit of independence and, uh, and, and a love for that freedom that I think a lot of people have, uh, have been conditioned to, to, to believe that they don't really have. Or, or, don't, or that it's don't bad. Or that they don't utilize it. Or that it is bad, yes. And it's not. And, and what, these guys, what these guys and gals do, I mean... You know, they live out in a world totally different from what we're used to, and they enjoy it because they love what they're doing. They love the independence. They love everything else. So when you when you start really trampling on them, and when you read the timeline and you read how many families have been upturned, and we're going to give you some amazing statistics that I'll bet you didn't know. Um, we've got some great statistics on this, and we'll, we'll get into this a little bit later on in the show, Greek, because uh, that's going to be like the whole last hour will be on that because there's so many things that people need to learn about this. Yeah, I'm going to try to pull up uh, Eric's post and so I have it in front of me. As yeah, well. I'm going to, too. But um, here's the thing. The president has once again taken out his pen, got together with his, his crony Department of Justice, if you want to call them. There's other names I can think of. I'm trying to do it politely. Um, but here they are, once again, nibbling, nibbling, nibbling away at the Second Amendment. Well, two things happened yesterday that, that I think uh, are in, in some ways uh, in, in conflict with each other. First of all, a lot of what he talked about yesterday is already law. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so there really isn't going to be any changing anything. He, he's just talking about it in in a sense of, of trying to make people believe that he's doing something when he knows he can't do something so most of what he talked about yesterday is already on the books <clears throat> the second thing that bothers me is that he doesn't talk about what is happening with gun violence on the streets and what he's done to 
to let people out of jail early uh, and, to, and, 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 and to release dangerous people back into society because there's no other nice way of saying it. Uh, a lot of uh, that criminal <laughs> community mm -hmm. is also part of his constituency. Well, it and, is. And uh, if you look at um, if you look at numbers of uh, who people vote for and what parties they vote for, you, you can't really deny that. But um, the thing that the thing that is, is 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 most troubling for me is this constant talk about the gun hole loophole or the, the gun show loophole, which is not really a loophole. No. What what they're going to try to enact is a they're going to call it a, a fee for a background check, which in some enhanced. States yeah, right. Which in some states can be two hundred dollars or more. Yeah. Uh, but um, it's going to start to impose a tax, if you will, on people who want to transfer a gun from from me to you, for instance. Right. Or from you to a, a, a sibling or or one a child. one gun, mm -hmm. one gun. Right. It's absolutely, my friends. This is what we're talking about. This is an erosion of your freedom. Now, there are going to be people who say, oh, so what? So what? They have to get a background check. Okay, so what? This is what happens it's when you go the slippery slope. Exactly, because what happens when, when you open that door, then what do they start to check for? That can just continue to be expanded and expanded. And they're and expanded. talking about that in this new? I mean, you've, you, you're talking about now where you have guys coming back from, from military service that are not being allowed to own guns because they were treated or they saw someone for post-traumatic stress disorder. Now, uh, I'm not unreasonable if a guy is, is wigging out constantly and, and needs to be you know, uh, institutionalized or, or heavily medicated. He shouldn't have access to a gun. But you have the vast majority of these guys who were encouraged to speak to counselors as they came right. back and made the transition back. It was part of their transition. Now they've got that on their record. And it, with this slippery slope, do they say to these guys, hey, look, you talk to a, a, a psychiatrist. When you came back from the, the, the Gulf, uh, you can't have a gun. That's exactly what they're doing. And, and here's, the, here's the thing about it. Now you say, Police well. Police officers as well. Yeah, especially if, ones if, who have if, been if, under traumatic experiences. Or, or if they've invo been involved in any type of, uh, of situation, not even a, a police shooting, but mm -hmm. police can see counsel if they, uh, if they encounter a bad accident or if they go to the scene of a terrible crime where children may have been murdered or something like that. They're encouraged to see counselors to talk about their experiences. Are those people now going to be told, well, you know, you saw a, 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 a psychiatrist and, and you were under the, the care of a psychiatrist. You can't have a gun. And see, once again, th what this does, too, is it probes more into their personal lives. Now we're opening up their personal lives to the federal government. Now we're opening up records that heretofore have been sealed. Now we're just and they're saying, well, you know, those people shouldn't have guns anyway. Well, let me explain something to you. Once you go down that slippery slope and start saying, well, it's OK to do this one. What happens? Well, they'll never come and take their guns. Well, in California, we had it, and the only place I've ever seen it was posted right here on What's Your Point. They actually passed a law that as of the 1st of January, the police can go into homes in California unannounced if they believe that they have reason to believe that they aren't mentally stable enough or they, they uh, are too poor or whatever, there's several criteria. Too poor. They, yeah, well, in other words, you can't, uh, you can't afford the type to, take of weapon. Of, to take care of yourself, so you might use the weapon to go out and... Oh, steal? Do, yeah, whatever. Oh, now, that, that, that now, is a now, very now, dangerous Now, here's, here's the thing, though. All the criteria, that is the least, but most of them deal with, you know, if they're, if they're seeking help, if they... If they uh, if they if they're having a hard time paying their there's just a number of criteria but when you look at the criteria you just go to to what's your point and look up the article but you go and you read that Greek 
they can come in unannounced and with no forewarning and seize your guns. This is the next step. See, it starts with taking a little bit away and then adjudicating it and then taking it upon themselves to make the decision and then come into your home unannounced with no warning to seize those guns. The incrementalization of this is what is what you're trying to say is very dangerous because they're going to get their foot in the door now and then patiently right. go about eroding more and more and more people's ability to protect themselves. And you know what? It goes, it goes beyond. It goes beyond just firearms. Firearms are the latest thing. And what they do, and, and I'll tell you what sickens me, is the media has bought into this lock, stock, and barrel, and they're not doing any kind of real reporting. They're just regurgitating the well, talking points from the administration, and they're not going and doing the real they're, research they're, to realize, my friends, if you think for a moment that Barack Obama is doing this because he cares about kids that were killed or people that were killed, he doesn't care, my friends. He cares, as they all do, about power. It's all about power. Well, I, it's, it's power, uh, but it's manifesting itself in the idea that uh, government is That's your, right. your, your, your best, is your protector. And, and not, you, you don't have an individual right to protect More power to the government, less power to the individual. And they do it in that sneaky way of couching it with this, oh, well, who doesn't want to, you know, oh, who doesn't want gun protection? Who doesn't want, we don't want to take your guns. They, they, they put up an argument that no one would, uh, would contest. You know, who, who, who wants to see children killed in a no, school? No, of course not. Who wants to see any type of a mass shooting? And they, they play on that sympathy in order to pass regulations that ha would do nothing. I mean, th th that's the thing that no one has, has questioned. Now, he's going to do a town hall meeting on Sunday night on CNN. I thought it was Thursday. Is it, is it, is it Thursday? I, I may, have, Thursday the, night, I may yeah. have the day wrong. Um, with uh, CNN. With <laughs> CNN with, um, what's it, Cooper, uh, Anderson Cooper. In Virginia. Yeah. Uh, and, and Where they're trying to toughen the laws. So it, I'm sure what that is going to be is nothing but uh, a dog and pony show where he comes out and he talks about how it's affected him personally and, and, and how he just can't stand to bear that, uh, seeing these people killed, especially children, and that Congress wouldn't act, so he had to do something. That, that, that's important. And see, this, this is what, this is, the, this is another one of these dirty secrets. You know, he has spewed this pablum for the last few times he's pulled the pen to try to, to rein in gun ownership. He constantly says this line, Congress won't act, so I have to act. And by the way, in his speech, I believe he mentioned himself or referred to himself 78 times. So when we continue to call him the narcissist in chief, the facts will bear themselves out. But anyway, that's beside the point. But when he uses that line, okay, and he says, look, Congress won't act. No, Mr. President, this is the way government works. You want something done, you go to the Congress. If the Congress, elected by the people as the arbiter of the law, they decide they don't want to do anything about it, that's the choice, and that's what has happened. But the Congress has refused to do what he wants, so he pulls out this pen and decides he's going to illegally re rewrite law. Well, what, what, it's, it's so, I, I think sometimes people don't see the forest for the trees because they don't even see the obvious logic here. Not doing something is doing something. That, exactly. Exactly. You go to a Congress with, with your agenda.
Right. Congress, like you say, elected by the people. They decide this isn't constitutional. This isn't what the people really want. And we're not going to do what he wants. We're, we're, we're not going to take this action. Well, that in and of itself is doing something. You're, you're protecting. It's called separation of powers. The president has an agenda. He has an item he wants. He goes to Congress and the Senate, and he tries to get it pushed through. If they don't act on it, that's saying, Mr. President, we're sorry. Now, the House has been, has been uh, the House especially, has been strongly Republican, and it's because the majority of people voting decided that's what they wanted. So he also couches that with, the majority of Americans want these tougher laws. No, they don't, if because you, the people they elected didn't move on it well, because they don't want it. He cherry picks polls, too, because yes. if you look how the question is asked, if you ask people, are you in favor of sensible control, or not even sometimes use the word control, are you in uh, sensible gun laws would be a nice way of putting it. Most people would say yes. I would say yes. You don't give guns to convicted felons. You don't right. give guns to... to but when you break it down and you start talking about the individual components in what he considers to be sensible gun laws, most people are not in favor of them. Not at all. What they'll say is we are most Americans are for general guidelines and, and rules and they want, you know, to be as safe as it can possibly be, but still retain the right for the American citizen to to procure a gun without all this red tape and expense. But if you take that number and he'll couch that number and say, see, most Americans want better, better or want strong laws. Then you ask that same question, say, do you think the laws on the books currently are adequate? The vast majority say, yes, they are. And most people, when asked what their solution would be to gun crime, they talk about tougher penalties. Yes. And what does he do? He dumbs it down. There's a the, it's a Senate law. What is it? Senate Bill 20, 2013, I think. It's uh, our 2031. It's a new bill that's that is going to come before the Senate this year, before the House and the Senate. <coughs> it's a new crime bill, and um, you know that's a definite party file. You should have to put some money in the jar for that. I'm not even going to respond. The fight song for Notre Dame, the most recognized fight song I, in the world, I, should play every week, just to remind people what a great collegiate institution Notre Dame. Yeah. I think our old boss Mike Thompson had two rules yeah, I know. in the control room. I know. Number I know. one, you don't bring anything to eat or drink near oh, the yeah. board. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And number two, and this was before smartphones, you don't bring anything that makes a sound. Yes. All right. All right. You made your point. Okay, I stand corrected. So uh, Mike I'll, would be very disappointed in he would be. In more ways than one. <laughs> but uh he always also said never eat while you're on the air. We did a cooking show for crying out loud. What are we supposed to do, Mike? Well, how does it taste? I don't know. It's We're on the air. But uh, anyway, getting back to this point, here's the thing, though, and this is the thing that just drives me crazy about all this. We have got to understand what really is going on here. It is not about safer guns. It is not about the safety of the American population. It's not about any of those things. Because if you look at what he's done, he has done nothing. None of these things that he would enact would have changed in any way, shape, or form what what happened in the in the shootings that have happened so and, and far. And the, the mass shootings. And the mass shootings are the ones that garner the most attention. But when sure. you look at the raw numbers, the biggest problem we have with guns and guns violence in this country is not mass shootings. It's, it's individual one-on-one murders. And, and do you know what two-thirds of them are? Uh, Gang-related. No, two-thirds of deaths 
almost two thirds. Oh, you're of, talking about overall. I thought yeah, about murder. Overall, but murder, gun-related violence. Death. Two thirds of it, most people don't realize, and the president had to admit it because if he hadn't, they would have brought this one up. Suicide. So I heard one one lib say, "Well, you know what? That's true. But if you take the guns out of their hands, they won't kill themselves." What? Are you kidding me? If you're going to commit suicide, you're going to commit suicide. Now, whether it's a gun, whether it's 10,000 pills, whether it's go to sleep and turn your car on, whatever, if you're really going to commit suicide, whether or not, well, you know what? I was going to commit suicide, but uh, I don't have a gun, so um, I think I'll pass. Uh, it doesn't work that way, my friends. It doesn't. Well, so to use, so once again, so you take two-thirds of those out for for that because that's a that that's a that's a completely bogus number then you start breaking down the numbers down even more there's a great website and and my hat tip to to mark levin um there's a gentleman out there by the name of john lott he's quite a researcher quite renowned and he is he's the head of crime prevention research center look him up john lott crime prevention research center we're going to use a lot of his information today because he he went out and found the latest statistics right now to take what the president said and then followed up with the real statistics. Yeah, they the they real were numbers. actually very up to date. They were up to date as of like November or December yeah. of last year, which, which was is last a, week. <laughs> oh yeah, which is all the numbers that you can possibly get. He's getting the numbers that aren't even published yet. But here's the thing, a very interesting thing. He said, President said, but we are the only advanced country on earth that sees this kind of mass violence erupt with this kind of frequency. It doesn't happen in other advanced countries. It's not even close. All right. Would you say France? Would you say France is an advanced country according to the UN and according to all the statistics that are out there? Yes, France is very advanced. And it's about one-fifth the size of the United States population-wise. Now, here's just a little interesting statistic that the French, let's see here. Let me pull it up. Uh, 500 and something. Yeah, it's, uh, let's see here. Excuse me while I pull this up. There's There's a lot to... There's a lot to go through here. We got a lot of pages. Yeah. Anyways, 500, I, I believe it was 528 people in the last year were killed in France to violent gun deaths. Okay? And France has exactly the same type of added enhanced, enhanced uh, regulations that the president is trying to put forth, many of them very typically following the world order that he believes we should all be a part of. The French had 528. Now, that was last year in a country one-fifth the size of ours. Now, here's the interesting statistic. The Obama administration, since they have been in power in the last seven years, has 100 less violent deaths. Mass, mass killings. Mass killings. 100 less. Now, call it what you want to, but that's over seven years in a country five One. times larger and it also goes more to my point about talking about the bigger problem with gun deaths in this country if, if you really want to tackle the problem then you have to look at it not in terms of these mass killings but in terms of what happens every day on the streets and he hasn't done anything about that you know uh, my proposal and I've had this has been for 25 years I've been saying the same thing if you are convicted of using a gun during the commission of any type of crime you in this federal no probation no parole 40 years. You go away for 40 years if you use a gun in a crime. I think the current law now is if you use a gun in a violent 
uh, use a gun in the commission of a, of a crime, it's 15 years added on to whatever. But do you know what they're trying to do now? The administration, the one that's so concerned under this new bill that they're trying to force through, they are dropping those down by five years. And they're making them retroactive. And you have parole. Yeah. I mean, so here's a guy who out of one side of his mouth is telling you he's so concerned about all these violent deaths. And on the other side is knocking down the, uh, the penalties across the board. And, it, and it, it isn't strong enough. I agree with you. I'd like to see more closer to your numbers. And would that be a deterrent? I don't know. I don't care, but you're getting them off the street. They're not They're not coming back out, and they're not becoming repeat offenders because it, what, chances are when you arrest somebody for a gun-related crime, they've been arrested before. Now, they just released a bunch of felons from uh, from prison under the president's amnesty plan. And, of course, the media has been selling this as, well, these are just, why, you know, these are just uh, low-level drug offenders that just got way too much penalty, and we, of course we know what that is. That's directly tying, tying it into racism. But anyway, it was just, so let me, let me just, this comes from Conservative Review, an article done by Daniel Horowitz. That's another great site. If you ever want to really read some amazing writers, Dan Bongino, uh, Daniel Horowitz, uh, Michelle Malkin has just become a senior member of the writing staff. Uh, Mark Levin is the editor and founder of Conservative Review. Anyway, this Daniel Horowitz article in Conservative Review, dated January 5th of 2016, this is a guy who stands there and cries, okay, at the deaths, all right? Now, remember, the people he's releasing, these are just low-level drug offenders that have just been cheated out of their life and blah, blah, blah. Too, too much, too much. Okay, on November 2nd, U.S. District Judge Eleanor Ross, an Obama appointee, gave just one-year probation to a defendant who admitted to buying a gun for her felon boyfriend in a straw purchase, which he later used to shoot and kill Omaha police officer Carrie Orozco. Okay, she gets one year of probation for going out and buying the gun for the guy. So much for your laws, Mr. President. So much for trying to solve the problem of guns and, and killing people. Consider the case of Raleigh Sizemore, who recently murdered Richmond, Kentucky police officer Daniel Ellis by shooting him in the head in the course of attempting to rob a gas station. Prior to this, Ellis had been convicted of operating a meth lab, which caught fire. Criminal mischief was sentenced to 10 years, but made parole in April this year after serving just over three years. A week before he killed Officer Ellis, a warrant was issued for his arrest for violating his parole. This is exactly the type of person that Obama is putting back out on the streets. These are what happens, man. And, and I'm glad you brought up the case of the woman who bought the gun for her felony, felon boyfriend. What they're trying to do with these gun transfers and, and, and they, the enhanced background checks, they would argue, well, see, we, we're taking action on that. We're, we're going to try to prevent that from happening with this new uh, executive order. Mm-hmm. I ask you to consider the fact that if this guy was already a felon and was already breaking the law, do you think that they were going to go to a dealer and have the enhanced background check done and pay the $200 fee? Let me think. Uh, no. <laughs> exactly. It, it, Who it, does it that defies affect? logic for these people to not acknowledge the fact that criminals, by definition, are going to break the law. If you know that it, 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 it is a given, and it has to be, how, how, they, they're, they're criminals, why don't you address the criminal problem by making the sentencing much tougher and much longer. Well, and that's it. But what do we do? We have a president who's going there, letting him out earlier. 
this is the this is the thing that's just it's beside my and and when you stand there and cry uh, to the American people, make sure several times you wipe your eye just in case they missed it the first time. Did you see the story about uh, 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 one of these people who is an expert on uh, body language and, and such talked about how when people are faking uh, crying. They wipe one eye at a time, but when they're genuinely crying, they tend to wipe both eyes at the same time. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Well, once again, I think this is what I've, what we have said. I'm not the only one, uh, but we have said this a number of times. With the liberal party and with the liberal progressives, it's all about style over substance. It's about what looks good, but you don't. Well, but when you dig down in the dirty details, you, know, I, you I, find I, it's just it's just window dressing. I'm willing to even give him the benefit of the doubt on that and say, you know what? If I was standing there with a bunch of families who lost children, sure. that I might become emotional uh, having to look at them and, and understand what what they had had gone through. But uh, it, it again, I, to me, it flies in the face of addressing the real problem that we have in this country, and that's that we don't have a criminal justice system that punishes people who continually choose to break the law and use firearms in the commission of these crimes. Well, and, and, and you know, here's the thing, though, Greek, and, and it, it's, it's critical that we bring this up because this, this continues to <coughs> be a problem, is you've got to look at the root cause. This is what they're doing. They don't care. I mean, how many tears did you see when the four bodies were brought back from Benghazi? If it doesn't fit his agenda, he's not gonna. He's not gonna address it. Or you'll never hear any politician <laughs> say that they were wrong about something. But no, uh, you didn't see tears there. You didn't see tears in uh, San Bernardino. You no. didn't see him in Aurora, Colorado. You didn't see him. Uh, you saw some in Charleston. Um, but I like, didn't see tears from him. No, but but he was there and he was well. Fairly well, he em- went emotional. there because yeah, he was there because he felt he had to. But in a lot of the other areas where it would have been good for him to be, he was never there. And I just, so it bothers me when I see this kind of stuff going on. And you hear people constantly saying, well, you know, um, we got to do something. We got to do something. But you're not doing anything. And I, this is why I wish you'd have somebody that could get in front of him. And we know that he's well protected by his handlers and, and no one is going to be put in a position where they can question him face to face. But why doesn't someone look at him and say, or a reporter at a press conference or somebody at this town hall meeting, we know I'll be handpicked, we know sure. that. Say, everything you're proposing isn't doing anything to solve the problem. So why are you imposing all of this on people? Because you know law-abiding people by their nature, they're going to have to go through and jump through these hoops. They're going to have to go through and, and pay the extra money to get these transfers done. They're going to have to, to, to go to extended lengths now to exercise their Second Amendment right when nothing you have proposed is addressing the problem that you continue to recognize. So where is the solution that you're putting forth? There is none here. There's nothing here. What I would like to see, and I've I spent several hours researching this. I couldn't find a number. Here's an interesting number. How many violent crimes or deaths by guns were created or done by legal people that followed the law, did everything they were supposed to do, they, the way they were supposed to do it, followed the letter of the law. How many people die per year by those as opposed to how many people die by people that don't follow the law? Uh, I, th- I think the numbers might be, you're going to have to break it down into what type of gun crime because I think that probably domestic violence 
you might have a lot of legal owners using a gun. Right, but but here's the thing though, a lot. If you looked at the numbers, I can't help but believe that the numbers would be significantly higher for those that don't follow the law, as opposed to those that do. So the ones that are being penalized are the people that are because if you if you follow the law, if you follow the law. Um, most of the crimes, uh, I believe, because, I mean, you listen to all the shooting deaths that are happening all over, all over the big cities, Baltimore, Chicago, um, New York, any of them. Most of those are not domestic violence. No, they're stranger on stranger or, or somehow gang-related. Exactly. But and they don't follow the laws. You're they also, don't go, no, go ahead and finish your point. Okay, but they don't go and look these things. They don't follow the laws to begin with. So the people who are really being penalized, and once again, I say this is getting back and making it harder and harder and eroding your rights as an individual. A law-abiding citizen is having their rights eroded because it's the only way the government can seize more power and do it in a way that makes people feel good. Well, it's the only way they can do something when they realize that there is a heck of a lot that they can't do something about. And this brings up the philosophical issue about a lot of gun crime. Um, Let's take domestic violence, for instance. Okay. Let, let's take a legal gun owner, okay. okay, who loses it one night and shoots his wife or his or kids. The wife. Or the Or, or wh yeah. whichever way it goes. Yeah. Um, they're really short of gun confiscation and not letting anyone own a gun. There's really nothing you can do to prevent that. You can't predict the future. You can't predict that a guy who buys a gun three, four, five years from now is going to... to, to, to just wig out one night and, and, and kill his wife. It, it's, it's tragedy. Nobody wants to see it happen. But with freedoms come some inevitable issues. Uh, issues. And one of those is, that what, is what you do with that freedom. And it's a, it's a tragedy. No one's saying it isn't. But you can't prevent it. And you, know, if and you can't abridge there, the freedoms of other people because some people choose to abuse those freedoms. What kills more people than rifles? Knives. Violent death. Knives, baseball bats, hammers. So if they don't have a gun and it's a d domestic dispute, they're probably going to pick up the nearest thing and and uh, do what they're going to do anyway. Well, statistics so will show. Yeah. yeah. Most, most women who, who die in, in domestic situations, uh, first of all, there's a, a pattern of abuse. It, it's generally not the very first time of right. an incident that that someone is killed. And it's generally some type of physical um, assault and battery mm -hmm. over a period of time, and, and, and eventually one time it, it, it takes their life. Um, but crimes of passion, crimes of spur-of-the-moment type gun-related deaths, there isn't anything anyone can do to predict that. But or what would be an interesting statistic is find that number, get a number of who legally bought, purchased firearms, and then committed violent death, and then take the number of violent deaths or the protection of people's homes, property, and everything else by legal uh, citizens, I'll bet you the numbers would be 10, 15, 20 to 1 of people that have prevented things from happening because sure. they had the right to own a firearm as opposed to those who, you know, fall off the bandwagon sure. or fall off no, the train the, I, or whatever. I agree 100% there. And, and I think if you also broke down the numbers between crimes of passion where a guy in a situation like that would kill his wife and stranger on stranger violence gang related yep. violence the numbers are going to be overwhelmingly in favor of the i'm going to actually send an email to john ott 
try to get the uh, yeah, try, try to get the numbers. If, if anybody numbers. would have them, the, he, his his organization would have Crime that. Prevention Research Center. And now, speaking about information, coming up here very shortly, as soon as he selects the cigar of the day, we're going to have Jolly John join us. And, I want to uh, I want to get his input on what he thinks about that name, Jolly. Well, John. there was another nickname that Russ gave him the other day, but I I, I, I can't, don't probably share can't it. say it on no, I don't want to share it with you because um, it's uh, it's too embarrassing. Very very factual, but too embarrassing because the other, I'm not that kind of guy. The other thing that John Lott brought up last night that I thought was interesting when he talks about how the rhetoric from the administration is, you know, if if this prevents the death of one innocent person or one innocent <laughs> child, then it's worth it. And what he brought out very interestingly is, okay, how about when you enact these new regulations, what about the deaths that occur because of the regulations? And his contention is those are going to outweigh the deaths that these regulations prevent. So you can't look at it as, as, as preventing or causing. You have to look at the, the net difference. And his statistics show that the net difference of people having guns far outweighs the dangers of people having guns. Well, here's, a, here's another statement as John is selecting the cigar of the day. Uh, Quote from the president, contrary to the claims of what some gun rights proponents have suggested, this has not been the first step in some slippery slope to mass confiscation. As, long as, as laws concerning handguns and assault weapons have evolved, such places as California, New York, and Chicago have all used registration lists to identify who owns guns. Since 2004, Congress has required the FBI to destroy NICS records of gun sales and transfers within 24 hours. But federally licensed dealers are required to keep the records of background checks. Congress currently forbids federal collection of this information into a central database, but there's no guarantee that this won't change. The government could potentially figure out who legally owns a gun. When five or ten years have gone by, a future president could simply require that federally licensed dealers copy their 4473 forms for all these transfers and sales and turn them into the federal government, and you would have an instant national yes. registration list. That's See, and there's a couple other points we're going to touch on, but uh, after all this heaviness, it's time to bring in a Jolly John, the uh, the purveyor of fine cigars for us today. And uh, John, I hope you had a uh, very good Christmas. Very, very good Christmas. Got to spend it here with my family and in-laws. Enjoyed it. Didn't have to travel, although traveling is fun at times, but yeah, very relaxing. Well, that's good. I know that, uh, as I mentioned... Do any hunting? Not over Christmas, but... Um, did get my venison back from the doe I killed a couple months ago and have been enjoying it immensely. And he had, he had, have you ever had the, we call them Slim Jims, but it's they're. That's what it is. It's a, it's a buckstick. It's called a buckstick, but it's a Slim Jim, but it's got venison in it. And it's oh, just, my God. I've had everybody, of course, when you do a cooking show and a hunting and outdoor show, everybody wants to give you their. And I've had some okay ones, but these, these that John brought in the other day, they were still semi-frozen. My God. They were through the roof good, not overly greasy. The spice combination was just perfect. The the snap, well, of course not. You weren't here. You weren't here. See, I'll Glenn? bring one in if you want one. What do you use for a casing on one of those? Uh, it's a natural casing. Yeah. I didn't make it myself. The processor, um, 10 minutes away from the farm, my wife's parents' farm in Kentucky. Um, the processor we use there, I won't go to any other processor. I don't blame uh, it's you. Just, it's a natural casing. Um and it's not all the additives and crap that you get in a Slim Jim, it is, but it's flavor so through tasty. the roof. So tasty. So that was absolutely outrageous. And so well done. But, of course, 
we've got some great activities coming up. This, I, I uh, are you going to get in the uh, chili cook-off this year? I will, but let me first let me uh, start off by celebrating. Um, we are, um, I'm sure, as Colonel has mentioned multiple times, we are a My Father Lounge. One of only five. And uh, my father has the company, My Father Cigars, has a lot to celebrate this from this past year. They they received a by Cigar Aficionado. They received a number one rating in the 2015 Cigar Aficionado Cigar of the Year. Um, for their Le Bijou Torpedo Box Press Cigar. Um, it's an excellent stick. We have had that cigar even before the rating and the sales were good on it. The sales have gone through the roof on this cigar. It's difficult to keep it in right now. That happens often with the number one rated cigar. Um, it is made with Paleo de Oro tobacco, oh. which is a very rare tobacco. Um, very hard to grow because of its susceptibility to disease. And giving diseases to the other and plants around them to the point that um as as i as i as i understand it that tobacco had been outlawed in cuba that's right because and, it was killing too many and fields it was killing too many fields well don Papine found a field i think three hours away from his factory 40 only 40 acres I think. isolated from anything else and he grows only paleo de oro tobacco in that field and i believe lfd is one of the other few uh, manufacturers that uses paleo de oro as well it's a beautiful, it's a, he made a cigar that he would pass out at events that he was at personally because they had so little of it, but it was like, I think, 80% Pea de Oro, and I tried one of those cigars, and I had never tasted anything. It was so smooth. It was so mild. It was so delicious. So I said, hey, when are you guys going to start selling them? And they laughed. They said, huh, we got 40 acres. You know, that, that uh, so we do them as kind of a, uh, limited edition, and so they've added Pad de Oro to this particular cigar last year, and of course that sent it to the top. Of course, Don Papine has been known; he was the the youngest master uh, roller in the history of Cuba. Well, in the past five years, he's had two number one cigars. Yeah. And Luann just told me earlier that he got another. I, I can't remember what cigar it was that was rated number. Oh, the um, the Centurion Habano got rated number one in another magazine as well so I mean, they're having they had a phenomenal 2015 it's no surprise but very good for them and one of the great things about being the my father lounge is when other people aren't getting the cigars we're getting them as as they are made available they go to the my father lounges first and uh so we uh we it have was had funny the morning the morning the the russ i was in here when he got the email that they were, were receiving that rating and uh, he was on the phone two seconds later ordering, making sure, because we had very little in stock. We had, on. I think, a box. Yeah. And he ordered a bunch more. And, uh, and because of the demand and because they weren't prepared for it, we've got more than most got, and they're getting ready to replenish us again. We're so down come, to our last box. Yeah, wow. so it's really a great cigar. But uh, it, was, uh, it was such a superb year for Don Papine and for Cutters, for that matter. I mean, this has been a great year, the growth in this – store has been absolutely amazing the number of people that are coming in here the sales everything has gone exponentially through the roof and it's because of a lot of reason number one the staff is outstanding um the the accoutrements for a for a cigar facility are through the roof and the biggest problem we have is space because so many people now are starting to come in here but he's working on that uh we're in the process of trying to get a new 4,000 square foot facility four times the size of where